Welcome to another episode of the FromTheApron.com podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing my remarkable guest, Michael Lopez. My initial instinct of not providing a proper introduction for Michael would have been a missed opportunity, as his extensive experience and diverse background truly deserve the recognition. Michael's journey in theater began at California State University Fullerton, where he majored in theater with a minor in dance. He then showcased his talents as a dancer at both Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm. For over 25 years, Michael made significant contributions to the Curtain Call Dinner Theater, serving as staff choreographer, dining room manager, and ultimately general manager and artistic director. His choreography skills also graced the stages of Tri-School Theater, the Rose Center Theater, Huntington Beach Playhouse, the Lewis Family Playhouse, and the California Theater of Performing Arts. Currently is the producing artistic director for the Cabrillo Playhouse in San Clemente, California, Michael brings his vision and leadership to this beautifully intimate 66-seat community theater located along the coast between Los Angeles and San Diego. In this episode, we explore Michael's diverse responsibilities at Cabrillo Playhouse, from producing shows and selecting plays for the season to hiring directors, set designers, costume designers, choreographers, and musical directors. Michael ensures each production shines. Additionally, he takes on unique tasks that go beyond the traditional role of an artistic director, such as designing brochures and creating a captivating outdoor performance space, Garden Cabaret. My conversation with Michael goes even deeper as we discuss upcoming auditions for the Rocky Horror Show, the exciting lineup of shows in the Cabrillo Playhouse's upcoming season, the journey into directing, the allure of live theater versus television and movies, the importance of inclusivity in the theater community, and invaluable tips on boosting theater attendance and the use of technology in community theater. Without further delay, join us on this enlightening and entertaining journey as Michael shares in detail the roles and responsibilities of an artistic director, along with his wealth of experience and insights. It's time to immerse yourself in the world of theater on this episode of the FromTheApron.com podcast. Michael, go ahead and take it away. Okay. Well, um, you know, it's funny because I started out as a performer and actor and now that you mentioned it, I don't think I ever met an artistic director coming up. You always meet the director or the producers of the shows, but never the artistic director. And basically my job as artistic director is to produce the shows. So uh, I was hired about nine years ago. It'll be nine years in September. Um, my job is to help, number one, select the season. We have a group, uh, two board members that are on the committee, which we call the Play Selection Committee, and we read plays and research um, starting in September. We'll start this September for next year's season. And we go back and forth and we select the season, the six shows in our season. Um, that's one of the biggest things that we do. We, we, uh, we get the rights for it. And I'm actually a produce, what I call a producing artistic director. So that's not the only thing I do. It's with each show, I hire the um, directors, I hire the set designers, the set builders, the costumers, the wig person. Um, so I coordinate everything for each show. Um, I coordinate with all of the actors who, um, like our, our actors get comps for shows, so I make sure that, you know, they get all the comps and go between our office and them and the director. 
And I'm kind of the go-between with the director and the rest of the production staff. If it's a musical, I hire the choreographer and the musical director as well. So I do all of those contracts to make sure everybody gets paid and, you know, is on board for the show and keep in touch with what they're doing. So I do that for every single show that we do. Um, I also uh, fill in our, our season with rentals. Um, for instance, we have a comedian coming in in September um, for one show. I have a, a couple of um, their uh, bands, uh, cover bands that come in. One's uh, Beach Boys, a cover band that comes in. And so I do all of that contracting as well. So it's a lot of computer work, you know, at home, but it's also, you know, going in and watching a rehearsal and making sure the show is where it should be. And, um, and I also, I also just meet everybody. We have a lovely patio and I'm there on opening night and as many nights as I can be and meet and greet our guests and our season ticket holders. Um, this year I've added to my plate, um, designing our, brochures for the upcoming two seasons. We have a garden cabaret season and our regular six show season. So um, the person who had designed them um, had passed away and was, so we had to find somebody else. And I have been kind, I said, oh, I'll do that. <laughs> Silly me. Um, but um, yeah, so it's, it really is everything. It's everything to keep that theater running and to make sure it's, I try to keep it up to the level that it needs to be. We've been around for 70 years. I saw that. So as I suspected, there's really no better person to talk to to find out everything about a particular theater. Like you seem to have your fingers in everything, right? Yes. Okay, great. Um, So let's take this in bite-sized chunks. You, You talked about play selection. What's that whole process there? Like you said, you read plays, but how do you even get the plays that you're going to read for a season? Well, we basically, we do have a um, a guideline of what the plays could be. I mean, obviously, I, I don't know if you've seen our stage, but it's a very small stage. And so we're, we are limited by what we can do, by the size of the cast. Um, comedies work very well for us. Dramas don't. For some, They just, our theater, our audience, um, they want comedies and musicals. Um, we do dramas or we do dramedies such as Death Trap, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, is a serious show, but it's also got a lot of comedy in it. It also has a name. Um, so we there are those parameters that we have to stay within, like, okay, we prefer one set so that, you know, because we don't have a, a easy way to change sets, but we do if it's needed. You know, we figure it all out. Um, but preferably if we can have, you know, a show with one set or minimal sets, um, smaller casts, we try not to go over 13 is the biggest. I think we had 14 for, we just closed Pirates of Penzance and that was a lot of people. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> that was a lot of people, especially when they're all on stage at one time. Um, so that's what we look at. Uh, and as in all theaters, you tend to have more women than men. So we try not to cast shows that are like seven men and three women, unless we have to, unless it's like, okay, we real. I think we really can do this. So, I mean, we look at all of those costumes, whatever it's going to take to produce the show. Um, 
we look at, you know, so those are the parameters that we look at before we start looking at scripts. We go to other shows all over the place to say, oh, this might be interesting. And so um, on our own, we go to other shows or and research, do a lot of research. We pass scripts back and forth. And then once you've read scripts, um, is it just a simple voting process between, you said it was uh, two other people? Kind of. Uh, once we get through all of them and say, oh, I like this one, or if we, if one person says, you know, I don't like this one, it's like, okay, why? Tell me why. Is it just a personal thing or is it really something that we should not show to our audience? Um, so once we pass those around, get a list of 12 shows maybe at the most, um, there are some that I say, I really want to do this one. And we all like, oh, yeah, let's do that. So there's no question about it. But there have come up some shows that we question. And um, basically, I have the last say. And then once I say, okay, this is what, here are six shows. We present it to the board, say these are the shows that we propose for the season. And they vote on it. Um, in nine years, I haven't had any, any time where anybody said, no, they trust us. So Okay, yeah, I've, I've looked at your your upcoming show schedule. I even used the Wayback Machine. I don't know if you know what that is. And uh, pushed your website through that and looked at some of your past productions. Uh, you guys do fantastic stuff. I'll just rattle off some of the stuff in your upcoming season real quick. Uh, Puffs, Phantom, not Phantom of the Opera, Phantom. Correct, Phantom. Bell Book and Candle, which if I'm not mistaken, was also the very first production in your current space. Yes. Um, a comedy oh, of tenors. Good. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> a comedy of tenors. <laughs> and it's three episodes of this podcast so far. Ken Ludwig has come up in all three episodes. Uh, the 39 Steps, Sweeney Todd, and Calendar Girls. Uh, I have a friend that was going to do Calendar Girls, and um, it got canceled. It was right before COVID. Uh, so right. it, it never got done. But that one sounds like a, a lot of fun. Also, I, I didn't see on your main page, but it's on your audition page, upcoming auditions for Rocky Horror Picture Show, which, if I'm not mistaken, you are directing. Yes. Rocky Horror Show. Rocky Horror, Horror Show. Show. I said Rocky Horror Picture yeah. Show. Oh, I'm so uh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> the Rocky Horror Show. Rocky Horror Show is not part of our season. And just to be clear, Puffs is part of this current season. It's the last show of this current season. Okay. The new season starts in September, which is Phantom. It's always an opening show. Rocky, we did, um, started... Four years ago, uh, we had been having had summer camps, and um, one summer we did th uh, three shows. We did a week of uh, comedy, a week, I think it was, um, I can't remember. Anyway, a comedy show, a musical review, and a drag show. Uh, one we did uh, um, uh, Elvis and Doris Day um, impersonators. So we... So our summer was kind of a mishmash of stuff, and I got the idea to do, uh, instead of doing trying to produce four, three to four shows, let's just do one. Rocky Horror had come up. I told our board, I said, I don't know if this is going to sell. This is way out of our range of what we do. It's way out of our, not comfort zone, but that's not what our audience was. Our audience tends to be, I would say older skewed between 60 to 80. Um, so I said, let's try this. You know, let, I don't know. Let's try this. 
So we did, and it sold out. And so this year is the fourth year, fourth production of Rocky Horror for the summer that we're doing. With the, a lot of the original cast coming back every year. Yeah, I saw you have um, auditions coming up for that. Auditions June 5th at 7 p.m. Uh, yes. And then performances August 4th through 27th. Uh, and it, on your website, it's fantastic. You give everyone the, the accompaniment tracks and the sheet music for auditions there. Uh, that is quite a show. I mean, there's some, there's some great singing roles in that. And I guess the Phantoms are... Um, is it, they're called the Phantoms, right? They're called Phantoms, yeah. Phantoms, they're yeah. basically the ensemble. And they're, they're, they're more like dancers, right? You want strong dancers for those roles? Uh, uh, yeah, and singers. They sing a lot. So, yeah, we need singer-dancers. And uh, do you have your, your role of Frankenfurter already cast for that? Yes. He, he was very – he was actually the uh, – my original Frankenfurter, um, I, <laughs> the first time I had to fire for not showing up to rehearsals. And um, so I started looking for a new Frankenfurter, and this guy was recommended to me and that he had done the part before. And he came in and was very excited, and it turned out we had already worked before at a show. And I forgot that he had come in as a replacement. I used to work at the Elizabeth Howard's Curtain Call Dinner Theater many, many years ago. And he had done a show there. So he came in and he's fantastic. And he's six foot, I want to say two or three. And then you put him in three inch heels. Yeah. You know, he, he's an imposing man and he's terrific. You can't let somebody like that go. Yeah. A lot of them, he... he you know, I ask every year, I said, you know, let me know if you want to come back. And he's like, I'm in, you do what I'm in. So he and his wife, uh, he, she plays Magenta are back again. So. Okay. But all the other roles are open. It looks like. Uh, yeah. Some of, most of them, uh, there are a few that they're the, some of the cast is returning. Uh, and you also mentioned that, that part of your role is to hire directors, uh, hire, uh, choreographers, uh, Song, song directors, music directors, stuff like that. What, what does that mean exactly, hire directors? Do you also select the director for each show? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so what I do is, or what I've been doing recently is, once a director directs for us, um, I keep them in my you know email list. So when I come up with uh, the season, I have about seven, uh, six to eight, directors that I, the, all the directors that I worked with before, I send them an email saying, here are the shows, give me your preference, of the, uh, give me three shows that you would love to direct, and in order. And so, because if the directors that I have worked with that put on a good show, are easy to work with, know their stuff, um, you know, all of the things that you think about when you're producing a show for directors, you know, that they get the job done, and they put on a good show. I'm like, okay, I want this director to come back. Uh, there are a couple that I've gotten emails from cast members saying, please have them come back. Please have them direct the show. Even if I'm not in the show, please have them come back. They were so great to work with. So I do that. I send them out, give them first choice. And then if, plus I, um, I if I get somebody that's interested I will add them to the list, or if somebody's recommended to me, I will add them to the list and send it out. And then from that list of directors giving me their choices, I I figure out who I feel is best suited for that show. 
Like if I have a director that's great with fast-paced comedy, um, I will give him that. The director of Puffs, for instance, Eric Moodyman, this will probably, I think it's like his eighth or ninth show he's done for us because he's just a terrific guy. He, he The cast loves him. I love his directing style. And he just is, if you say, oh, sorry, you have to reverse everything because the door was put on the wrong side, he'll say, okay, I'll, I'll figure it out. And he does. So that's, you know, when you have people like that, they're great to work with and less of a headache for me. Okay. So. That's great. That's good to know. And I assume a lot of the same goes for choreographers and music directors. Same sort of process? Yes. Uh, directors, I have a lot of music directors are hard to come by because there are uh, um, less music, uh, fewer music directors around. And a lot of them are just saying, you know, I would love to, but I'm booked. You know, so I book up to a year in advance. Like I have our director for Calendar Girls, which is a year away already booked so someone else trying to get them during that same time span they're out of luck yeah right right so part of what i want to do with this podcast is you know i want this to be entertaining i want this to be uh informative for people out there across the country and and i want to encourage people out there to go and get involved in their community theater whatever that means whether that be a patron whether that mean means go tear tickets or build sets or anything and so directing has come up. What do you say to someone that maybe wants to first time direct? Let's take me, for example. I have 30 some years experience on stage, but have never directed. I have a fair idea of what a director needs to do because I've seen a lot of directors direct. Now, what do they not do in my presence? You know, they, they do a lot of work also when I'm not <laughs> there on stage in front of them. I get that. I don't know exactly what all that work is, but... I would I would be forced to figure it out, right? Should I uh, volunteer to assistant direct, or what? what how, how do I become a director for the first time? That that's funny because this came up to me this season. I've had a direct an actor who has wanted to direct, and um, there just hasn't been anything. And I I have to go back to experience. And he said, you know, it's that catch twenty two. How can you get experience if you're not hired? So I asked him to be an assistant director on a show. And that would be my recommendation to anybody that wants to direct. Um, you can't just come into any theater. And I think because we're considered, we're considered community theater, they think, oh, well, they'll hire anybody. Well, no, that's not true. You know, I have product that I want to put on stage that's of as high a quality as possible. So I would recommend anybody to either stage manage because then you work usually work with the director, and you see that side of the uh, of the aisle, or be an assistant director. Uh, you, it may not be a paid position, um, and and that's how you start. You have to start somewhere. That's just like our actors. We don't pay our actors. They come in, they audition, they do you know six weeks of rehearsals and four weeks of shows for free. And, and we are that beginning rung of theater, and that's how they get experience. Now they get it on their resume, and as they go along, they learn more and more and more, and then eventually they, they start getting paid for what they do because they get better. That has to happen with directors. You have to get the experience and get it somehow. So I live in uh, Maryland, and... Um... I don't think anyone in community theater in Maryland is acting in a play thinking, 
oh, this is my stepping stone to become a movie star, to go off to Broadway or anything like that. I don't think. Here, you're very close to L.A. Do you do you have that with your actors? Uh, not not usually at this level. Um, I think at this level, a lot of people do it because they love it, and they have full time jobs, they have kids, they have you know, and they do this because just only because they love it and they want to perform. Um, very few. There are a couple that come through that you know, they want to take this to the next level. And so they'll come in and do a show or two. Um, I actually had a couple years ago in Nonsense, it was a girl who was a dancer and uh, she sang as well. And she said, you know, I really need to, I, I don't want to just only do being in the ensemble dancing. She goes, I want to act and I want to sing. And so I thought I would come and audition for this show and she did, and she got cast. And so now she's got a chance to not just dance, but act and sing in a small cast. So she's exposed out there, you know, with a cast of, I think that's a cast of seven, five. And she's, um, you know, rather than a cast of 35, where she's in the course of, you know, six girls. And she's only one of six in this. So um, she is now doing great. I mean, she's working everywhere. So, um, you know, a couple years later. So it is, it is a stepping stone. Um, but for the majority of them, it's just they love to do this and it's what they want to do. People always ask me, uh, Jason, do you get do you get paid to, for this? So they come see a show that I'm in. Do you get paid for this? Like, no, I don't get paid for this. And then their next question is, well, then why do you do it? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's my hobby. Right, it's my. You have exactly. your hobby, right? You you knit socks for cats or something like that. You don't make money for that. You spend forty dollars on yarn. It, it's our hobby. That's why we do it. Uh, I've been trying to put my money where my mouth is lately, and um, I spent my morning going to a community theater near here that I recently auditioned for and did not get cast. And I helped them move uh, their from their stuff from one storage unit to a new storage location. And I was really surprised that the uh, the people that showed. So I got an email. I didn't reply to the email. I just showed up. I I was supposed to have replied to the email, but I just showed up. And um, I don't read emails very well. And it was me. It was the president of the theater, the vice president of the theater, husband and wife, and then their son, who was an adult, and then two ladies that are about my mother's age. That that helped a little bit. And that was it. There was not a single. There was not a single actor from the current production that's rehearsing, not a single actor. Period from that theater. Is that typical of volunteer type opportunities? Do actors act? Yes. Yes. How, yes, it is. Do we want to change that? How do we change that? Oh, uh, well, of course, we'd love to change it. I mean, we uh, have a board of directors. Uh, our average age of our board of directors is probably seventy. They're very hardworking. They're very supportive. Uh, they don't just come to meetings. They will go out and garden. We have a beautiful garden area all around our theater. Um, and they, you know, the facilities manager will say, uh, I'm going to be gardening on Saturday morning starting at 11 if anybody wants to come help. I'm pulling weeds. And they show up. And we, you know, and she'll send out, you know, to friends of the theater, volunteers, and they will show up. Um, but 
it's, you know, even though we have a board of directors, which is all volunteer, our paid staff is small. I mean, it's I'm paid, um, the facilities manager, the box office manager, and um, our fix-it guy who, you know, we say, hey, he takes out the trash. You know, the chairs are broke. When a chair is broken, he'll fix it. Um, he helps build sets. Um, he just does everything. And that's it. That's the only paid staff. We're run by volunteers. You know, uh, our concessions people, our house managers, our box box office staff, they're all volunteers at, you know, one of our board positions is the volunteer coordinator. And they have to get, you know, these volunteers, make sure they show up. And they don't show up sometimes because they're volunteers. Right. You know, or they at the last minute say, oh, sorry, I can't make it. And, you know, we frantically looking for somebody to help out with concessions, which is a big, big deal in our theater. Yeah. And we ask, you know, in our volunteer ask, we say, listen, our volunteers mostly is concessions. That's where we have our biggest ask because you have to set up, you know, uh, we do everything on a, um, a everything's a donation for the, our clients. So they, we have a large patio where they come out to and we sell beer, we sell wine, we have uh, chips and cookies and, um, you know, a bunch of stuff out there. And that's a big part of our um, income per, for each show. And so they have to set all that up. And then, you know, if it's cold, we have heaters that have to come out and tables. And um, so it's a big thing. And but, you know, for each show, I say, you know, volunteer, because basically you're needed. You can do as much as you want. You can volunteer one show, one day per show. So that's six times a year. That's not much. And as long as we have a, a large number of volunteers, that works. Some volunteer more, some less. So you mentioned that a large part of your money comes from concessions at a show. I, that's one thing I want to know with community theater is where where does the money come from? I'm guessing not all from ticket sales. Well, uh, mostly from ticket sales, but we're we're one of the very few lucky theaters in that we own our building. We've owned our building for God knows how long. I couldn't even tell you when. I know they had a ceremony of tearing up the mortgage or something, but. 1978, I know. Oh, right. <laughs> yep. Thank you. Yep. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's pretty unusual. I mean, during COVID in Orange County, there were at least four theaters that closed because of COVID. I mean, a good friend of mine just lost his theater because they raised their rent after COVID by 30%. And he just said, we can't do that. You know, and it's one of the small, few small theaters around. There were so many theaters that closed and people say, how did you stay open? I said, we own our building. We didn't have a rent to pay, a monthly rent of $6,000, $7,000. And then we uh, had a, like I've been talking about this patio, we converted that into an outdoor stage. So now you know, we made it, called it our garden cabaret with, uh, at that time we had nine tables, you know, to keep everything spaced. You had to be masked until you were actually seated at your table. And, and I, our, we did mostly like a musical review. And so the actors that we never did duets or group numbers, you know, because they weren't wearing masks while they were singing so, I mean, it was a challenge to do this and to um, create this performance space during COVID. 
to at least keep us, um, uh, people know that, hey, we're here. It wasn't to make money, that's for sure, because we made a, a little bit of money, but it was just to say, we're still here, we're still going uh, until COVID passed, and then we could get back in our theater. So I would have assumed that that the majority of money would have come from donations, either from like repetitive donors, one-time donors, or even uh, like federal grant or state local. You know what I mean, like local local grants. Yes. Well, we were lucky. We did get some grants this year. We got a from the state. Uh, we got a fifty thousand dollar grant this year, and that helped us a lot. We also had our seventy-year gala, and we made ten thousand dollars there. So our theater is an old house it's a uh, your theater is beautiful yeah it's it is it's great i mean the whole grounds area i mean it's absolutely beautiful but right over the stage is a slope so if you're standing at the back of the stage um it's about six feet high so it's like uh, like the pitch of a roof is what it is directly over the stage so I was speaking about our um, Frankenfurter, who's six foot, <laughs> at six foot two, six foot three. And then you put three inch heels. He has to duck to make his entrance. Oh wow! And so right now we're trying to uh, we're trying to fundraise to raise that roof line. We can only raise it raise it so much, so it doesn't alter the sight line from the street. And that's going to be about two hundred thousand dollars. So that's what we're hoping to do next year, a year from now is to raise that roof line. And so that's, you know, coming hopefully from donations. And like I said, we got that grant money and that's what we're using that for is to to uh, improve that stage space. So Cabrillo Playhouse, I did a little, uh, I, I looked on your website, I looked at uh, Google image search, I found images of past productions there. I did a Google Street View and like walked around the neighborhood of San Clemente. Just the neighborhood's gorgeous. The theater's gorgeous. I mean, I want to come there and see a show. I want to move there. Heck, you're like, like just a, a short walk from the beach. It's absolutely gorgeous. So the theater, the theater company, San Clemente Community Theater, established 1956. Uh, your current building, uh, 19, 1966, you guys took that over and became the Cabrillo Playhouse. And then, like I said, 1978, uh, paid off the mortgage. That's fantastic. So you think it's important, like primary importance is to put butts in seats? Well, yes, that's the only way it's going to, we're going to keep going. That's the number one thing. You know, we, we have, that's the only way, ticket sales and to get people in those seats. That's what keeps us going. And uh, especially this past year, these past two years after covid Everything increased so much. Uh, lumber went up by 50% at least, if not more. Um, and, you know, and as I hate to talk about it, but the theater community, and they're not really the theater community, the royalty houses, which are, you know, basically lawyers and whoever that, you know, send out the contracts, um, royalties went up. So, where before COVID, we were paying royalties for us for a musical, let's say cabaret, for our theater cost us uh, $3,000. It now costs us 5000 Wow. So you got to sell 150 tickets, roughly, just to make up the cost of that. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and that's just royalties alone, you know. And, and now 
they're <laughs> the new trick is you can you get the royalties but they're not sending scripts anymore that was always included now you have to pay for scripts uh, for instance for phantom they said well they had a minimum of 20 scripts that you had to purchase no i take it back they had a minimum of 40 they say according to uh, the website they're count you have to buy 40 scripts i said well first of all i couldn't fit 40 people on that stage second of all there were nine nine or ten lead characters that have songs and lines everybody else is extraneous and we're doing it with 14 people and you're asking me to buy 40 scripts and so they brought it i they um brought it said i could only i could go, get by by buying 20 they allowed that so when you said they're not including scripts anymore, I thought that meant you had to download the PDF and print them out yourself. They're requiring you to actually buy them a set number from them at their price. In addition to the royalties that have gone up by 40%. Wow, that's crazy. I have the impression, at least with theater out here, so you have a, your theater small, 66 seats. I love a small intimate theater like that. Yes. I love plays in general. You said you, you, you're kind of confined, you feel kind of confined to plays that have one set. I love a play that has one set. I think a, a play that has one set is just naturally better, right? Because it's it's a challenge for the playwright. They have to, you know, it, yeah, it's a challenge for the playwright. They make a better play that way. Um, you have 66 seats. Uh, we have theaters out here, community theaters out here in, in Maryland. And any performance I go to, I'd say this, the seats are half full. So I'm under the impression that the theaters get so much of their money from sources that are not ticket sales that they don't see the importance of filling seats. I, I, I don't know that that's true. I think obviously you want a full house, if anything, for your actors. If we have a show that's less than two thirds full, um, I, I'm upset. You know, I'm like, oh, we, you know, we need to get more seat, more people butts in the seats. Um, we just did a show, uh, comedy, very funny comedy. I hate Hamlet. Um, and it just wasn't selling. I mean, people were walking out of there saying, oh my gosh, this was so much fun. I love this. The actors, oh, just gushing, but it wasn't selling. And I, you know, I started asking around and, and it was the word Hamlet. They say, oh, I, I thought it was a Shakespeare show. It's like, no, it's not Shakespeare. It's a comedy. It says, I hate Hamlet. You know, it's not Hamlet. And I, I kind of realized that you know, that's why people aren't coming, because they're thinking it's a Shakespeare. They look at they, they look at the whether they're passing by and see our banner, and they see the word Hamlet, and that's all they see. I, I, I don't know. Um, Pre-COVID, we were selling out every show. I mean, we were doing very little advertising because it, every show was selling out. We were doing great. And that's, you know, that's that's how we keep going. You know, that's how we we keep doing shows, show after show after show. And anything else that we get as far as donations or grants, that goes back into our building. That goes back into, you know, we had our patio uh, rebuilt a few years ago. Um, whether every year we have a project, you know, we are a nonprofit, you know, whether it's painting the whole building um, or uh, we had to replace, do get do air conditioning maybe seven years ago. 
you know, and that's, that's for that whole building, that's a lot of money. So, you know, you're, it's not just paying people, you know, we're trying to get to a point where we can offer a stipend to the actors because of where I live, where, where we're located in San Clemente, um, we're in a difficult place. Um, we're not in, we're in South Orange County, as far South Orange County as you can get before you get to San Diego County. So uh, Central Orange County has a, is where a majority of the small theaters are. Um, it's where uh, California State University Fullerton is, Fullerton College is, uh, Chapman College, all of these places where we get actors from, you know, where they're studying and then saying, oh, well, let's go do a show outside of school. Um, so we're basically 40 miles, 40, I'm sorry, 40 minutes from central Orange County. And we're also the same opposite way towards San Diego, which has a, a large theater community. So we're in the middle of that. And I always get people saying, oh, but it's so far. And I would say, take a drive, try it once. Um, and then they'll say, okay, that's not bad. And and they'll do it. Uh, our first production, one of the first years I was there, we did Man of La Mancha. And um, 90, 90% of the cast was from uh, Central Orange County, from Fullerton, California, which was about, you know, a 40-minute drive. And so they all carpooled. And it was great. Um, and that, that happens a lot, that they carpool and, and they get there. So... Um, I tell people on this podcast, if, if you're listening to this podcast and you, you, you live an hour and a half from Cabrillo Playhouse, go see a show there. That's my, that's my rule, an hour and a half. <laughs> um, I see you're doing um, Sweeney Todd Sondheim in this season, this upcoming season. Uh, if you guys ever do Assassins, let me know. I'm going to fly out there to watch that. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, I would love to. I love those shows. I, I loved Assassins. I thought it was brilliant. I love his take on it. I mean, it's just so unexpected. Would our audience, could I sell that to our audience? I don't know. I mean, I, I always try to push our audience. I always try to pick a show. Uh, this might push them a little bit. Sweeney Todd is one of them. Um, I, somebody said, oh, is your audience going to love that? I said, well, there's, it's a musical. So I think <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, but I always have to play that. What do I really want to do? And what should I do? What should we do? Um, I mean, there's a lot of plays that I would just love to see produced there that would be perfect in our theater. Is it right for our audience? I don't know. Why should someone come go to live theater in general to see Sweeney Todd, let's say, rather than to sit at home and watch the movie with Johnny Depp? Well, because there's, there really is nothing like live theater. I mean, you're experiencing right then and there. Um, it's funny. I always say when, when problems happen during a show, the audience loves it. We had our sound system go down during Pirates of Penzance at intermission. So we're, try, we're having to like try to figure out what we're going to do to continue on with the show for the second act. Meanwhile, I'm sitting there with a stage manager trying to figure this out. The audience had been had already been out for a 15, 20 minute intermission. They came back and it was another 15 minutes that they sat there. Meanwhile, 
the lead actor, uh, two of the lead act, two of the actors walked out on stage in character and just started talking and playing with the audience, and they absolutely loved it. They just loved it. Uh, I, it so happened that my family was there, my sister and some family friends. And they, I said, was that, did that feel long? They said, no, we had so much fun. Oh my gosh, he was so funny. And, and I said, yeah, and they said, no, that was great. You know, I, people love to say, well, I was at the theater when such and such happened. And that's, that's live theater. It's a once in a lifetime experience, even if nothing goes wrong, right? Like that particular oh, yeah. performance you saw that night will never happen again. Exactly. You, yeah, you won't see the, yeah, every, every, day every show will be a different experience people tell me they have no time for live theater but somehow they have time to to binge breaking bad breaking bad <laughs> will be there when you get home go to live theater right i mean there's nothing like sitting with a group of 66 people and laughing at the same thing or crying at the same thing or feeling moved by what's happening on stage, by the story that's being told. I saw a couple years ago, I don't know, a few years ago, like I said, I've looked way back at your stuff. You did uh, Tuna Christmas. Someone here at a local theater mentioned to me that they had done a greater tuna or tuna Christmas. And I thought, I, I this is the question I asked them, because I have seen the original cast of Tuna Christmas, Greater Tuna, uh, Jason Williams, Joe Sears uh, in Washington, D.C. at the, the Warner Theater, I believe. And two guys played every single part in both of yes. those shows. And I said, oh, does the script... And you watch these costume changes in the, in the show. And it's amazing. How do they do this? How do they just walk out of one door and come right back in the other door as a completely different character? So the question I had was to these people was, does the script offer you tips on how to do these costume changes so fast? And the person says to me, what costume changes? And then he went on to explain to me, no, was, we had a different actor play every single character. Is that how the script is written? Well, I wasn't there when they did Tuna Christmas, uh, but it is written for two people. Okay. Yeah, okay. it Good. is written for two people. And here's So here's the funny thing about that show. Uh, the actor who had performed in that has done quite a few shows for us, and he does both sides of the of the, the, of the stage. He will he performed the lead in on Golden Pond, and he will be our stage manager uh, during... Uh, Pirates of Penzance, he ran music or he ran lights. He, you know, he, he was our lighting guy. Um, and so he said, oh, Tuna Christmas. And so I looked at the script and I went, I, I can't put this on stage. Language, you know, and I always look at language because if we get a letter, you know, and we get letters like people that will write a letter in the mail saying, you know, the language was horrible. You know, so I always, I'm always aware of that. Um, and just some of the stereotypes are just, are bad now. Nowadays, people are more aware of that, whereas before they weren't. I mean, there was a play um, that one of our play selection committee members sent me, and I said, oh, I, I mean, I can't do that. We can't do this because the character was like an Archie Bunker character. Mm -hmm. And I said, but yeah, he just uses a lot of racial slurs, which when this was written in 69, people didn't think about it. Nowadays, that's not going to pass. We, I, I can't let that happen. You know, it was a fun script, but I said, you know, we can't just take out 
it happened throughout the show, it would just alter the script too much to take. So, you know, I'm always very aware of plays that are sent to me that that was okay six years ago. It's not okay now. And Tuna Christmases, Tuna shows are one of those. I have to look at those again. I don't yeah, remember, I don't remember it being like that, but yeah. yeah. Uh, so what are some tips that you have for other, other theaters out there across the nation? Tips for getting butts in seats, for maybe special events to raise funds or collaborations with other artists, artists things like that? Uh, for me, it's a selection of shows. I mean, especially if you're starting or if you're not getting seats in the seats in the theater, you need to look at what shows you are putting on. I mean, I envy these theaters that put on these plays. I'm like, God, I would love to do that. But for us, we're not going to get, for our audience, we're not going to get butts in the seats. I mean, we really, San Clemente really is a retirement city. I mean, the majority of people there have retired and they're living by the beach. Um, so our audience is skewed older. It's getting younger every season, but not by much. Um, for instance, during Rocky Horror, totally different audience. Totally, totally different audience. They would dress up. They were dressing up. I I remember this couple. It was a man and a woman, and he was in, in this dress and pearls and heels and stockings he said my wife said let's dress up so we did i've never done this but boy i'm having a blast and his wife was just not let him go she thought he was like the best thing that show is very different for us it's a very different audience but they're not from they're not our normal san clemente audience that supports us and buys season tickets um i had noticed when i first started at the theater they were doing a lot of shows i'd never heard of uh, and I remember there are a couple of them that I'm like, this is not a good show. Um, the script is not good. The characters are not engaging. I don't care what happens to them. And so the next year we started doing, you know, shows that people knew. Um, didn't always work, but for the most part it did. Um, so I'm always, that's when I realized comedies are selling, dramas are not selling at this point. People want to walk into the theater and laugh, have a good time, and forget their troubles. You know, like in Cabaret, leave your troubles outside. In here, life is beautiful. Um, that's what people want. So for any theater, whether they're starting or they're struggling, look at what you're putting on stage, and is it quality? If you don't, Even if you don't have a lot of money, even if you're running on a shoestring, I mean, we have a decent budget but it's not like wow we can pay for every little thing and our budget has increased over the years because our audience has increased um but that's the biggest thing is just what are you putting on stage is it engaging and are people walking out saying that was fun or that was interesting um and you've certainly done that for your upcoming season right uh phantom i so there, there's kind of an interesting thing right Phantom, it's, an, it's I guess it itself is an opera, right? Um, uh, yeah, there's more dialogue in it than there is in Phantom of the Opera. Okay, so there is dialogue in it. I listened to the original soundtrack of it this morning, and it was it was great. I'm like, these songs are fantastic. I mean, like yes. high quality. This it reminded yeah. me of uh, like Beauty and the Beast, Disney Beauty and the Beast. I mean, like really good, catchy songs. Um, yes. 
Bell Book and Candle. That one I don't know. Uh, a comedy of that tenors. That was a movie. Okay. Yeah, that was a movie in the '60s, I believe, with Kim Novak. A comedy of tenors, like I said, Ken Ludwig. Uh, that one reminds me of. It reminds me of Three's Company, like an old episode of Three's Company. Just the kind of slapsticky humor and like people. Ken Ludwig is one of our biggest sellers. I love Ken Ludwig comedies. Pretty much one set. Great character, slapstick, where you just laugh throughout the show. I think th- I, we probably have done a Ken Ludwig comedy almost every season, I think. 39 Steps, which is, I mean, I don't even know what to say about that. There's there's nothing like it. No. What, el- what else can I say about that one? I've seen one production of it. There's nothing like it. Uh, Sweeney Todd and Calendar Girls. Uh, so Calendar Girls, like that's a, that's a little risque, isn't it? Uh. Not really. I mean, it is more of a comedy. I mean, you think of, I mean, people always think of the nudity and there, there really is no, you're not going to see anything on stage. That's for sure. Okay. Um, it's, it's just about these women that decide to do this. Technology wise, is there any tips you have for theaters out there? Any great software you're using or anything like that? Well, <laughs> it's funny that you say that because uh, the sound problems we were having with Pirates of Penzance, the uh, sound system that we were using was crashing. Okay. And um, so we actually, actually uh, had to buy a, a new laptop. And so we went with a Mac. And because everybody said QLab is the best system out there for sound. And so I'm like, okay, I know nothing about Macs. I, I know nothing about QLab. Luckily, my stage manager, who does lights and sound, she goes, that, she goes, that's her wheelhouse. So it's kind of out of my hands and in theirs. And But I went and took a tutorial on it, you know, uh, and it's really easy to use. I mean, it's really, really easy to use. And I just found out, and I'm not positive that I, I'm right, but that you can combine, do light cues and sound cues on the same program. And and I'm like, wow, if that all happens at once, that makes our stage manager, who really is the person who runs lights and sound, makes their job so much easier. So um, this show coming up, uh, Puffs, is the first time we're using that. So I'll be interested to see how that works. But just from my standpoint, trying to learn it, like within the first tutorial, I'm like, Wow, this is really simple. So it's good because it's easy to use, it's reliable, and it's kind of an industry standard, I guess. A lot of people know. Yes, it is. Yeah, I mean, the guy that was using it works on cruise ships and and um, in Vegas that was uh, doing the tutorial. I said, well, I mean, we're just a tiny little theater. I mean, I don't need all of that, but it's great that it does all of that. So how did you personally, the very first time, how did you personally get involved with community theater? What was your first exposure? With any community theater? Yeah. Uh, probably, I wasn't, I was in college and there was a uh, local Civic Light Opera that was doing a show and was looking for, uh, I was a dancer. So they were looking, it was Hello Dolly, I think was the first one I did. And so I went and auditioned and um, just started doing it. But I had, you know, I, and I kept doing it um, when I could because I was also working at Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm. And when I worked at Knott's Berry Farm, I was, you know, 
working 40 hours a week as a dancer in shows. So right out of college. And then what brought, what brought you back? What kept you coming back to community theater? Uh, just the love of doing it, of doing a show and playing characters and different styles of going from, you know, doing West Side Story and playing a shark to being, you know, a, a waiter in Hello, Dolly in the 1900s, you know, it, uh, the early. It's just all of those different characters that you're able to play in different shows and, you know, the, the camaraderie for sure, you know, with all the friends and doing all that. I mean, you're in rehearsals for eight weeks, you know, five days a week, usually for free, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> You know, I, I was able to uh, I to do Hello. I think I've done Hello Dolly three times where I performed, and the last one I did, uh, no, the second to the last one I did was with Long Beach Civic Light Opera and with uh, Joanne Worley, and she, you know, from the Laugh-In fame, and um, it, it was just so much fun. I had never had so much fun in the show, and I, uh, the director was great, the choreographer was great, all of those things, costumes are great, all of those things came together. I always said that I would never do a production twice, and then I did The Foreigner uh, by Larry Hsu uh-huh. uh, a second time. I played Charlie both times, and um, I, I'm hooked. I'm like, I want to go on national tour as Charlie now. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're talking to somebody who, you know, I've been in this business for a long time, starting out as a performer. And then uh, being a choreographer and then a director choreographer. And then now I just do that once or twice a year. But I was doing that. That was my life. I had have either been in choreographed or directed in choreographed Fiddler on the Roof 18 times. Wow. 18 times. And I worked with a high school cast of 83 to a uh, dinner theater cast of 16. Wow. So you're the go-to guy for... Uh, what? For Fiddler, yeah. For Fiddler. I, mean, I, I can, want to say Pirates. I can, tell, I can tell you sound cues, like what line, what word the sound cue starts on. <laughs> well, I'm so used to... Because <clears throat> I've done it all. I've run sound. If you're you know, out there and you want to do a sound. production of Fiddler on the Roof, uh, give Michael a call. Yeah. <laughs> So I have one question that I've been asking everybody so far, and it's everyone I've talked to so far is directors, but you're, you're a director also. You have a director hat, so I'll ask you, what is the single most important thing someone can do at an audition? The single most important? Uh, be prepared. Be prepared. Be prepared. Be, you know, I've sat through so many, many, many um, singing auditions and that because I mostly do musicals. Um, where people come in and they look like they just rolled out of bed or they you know, are fumbling with music and they don't know their music or they don't know the show. They're, I mean, really know the show that they're auditioning for. I mean, there's, it's so easy to get information out there from online to say, okay, I'm going to audition for Rocky Horror. I mean, I, we put out all that extra, that music and scripts because we're only we're casting a few parts, not the whole show from from scratch. So we have all this, and we know exactly what we're looking for. Um, so we're not we don't want you to come in and sing a song and then call you back and have you sing one of the songs from the show. It's like this is a part that's available. If you want that part, you have to sing this song. But there's so much information that you can get. Like what is a script? 
what are the characters? What does it, you know, you can go online and type in Frankenfurter and get a whole explanation of who the character is. That'll give you an idea of what people, you know, what theaters are looking for, what um, they're, what anybody is looking for, for a specific show. I mean, where I've seen people come in and never having read, a, read the script. It's like, do you know what this character is about? Be prepared. Yeah, that's good. And that goes down to a small detail, right, too, right? Like even uh, know your conflicts before you show up. That's part of the Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's my pet peeve as well. I'm guilty of not knowing my conflicts when I show up. So I write no conflicts, but then I stick to it at least. If something... Oh, okay. Yeah. So... No, that's fine. You know, like I always say... You have to let me know whether I'm willing to work around your conflicts or not. Right. I mean, that I, I, I've had people that did that where I, I started a rehearsal and I said, okay, well, what about Saturday? I said, you know, I want to meet them. And they said, oh, I can't. I said, well, you wrote down you have no conflicts for these specific days. And they said, well, I didn't know what was happening at that time. Right. I'm like, well, the whole point is you're making a commitment to this. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, that's conflicts. And, and you know, it really is, and, and I hate to say it, but for me, is it's when they walk in, again, if you look like you don't care, if you look like you just rolled out of bed, if you look like you just happened to walk by the theater and say, oh, there's an audition, I'm going to walk in, that tells me something about you that first impression really tells me something about you and i don't find it very often anymore people come in prepared people come in looking nice they've combed or brushed their hair you know they've made an effort um that's a big thing if they made that effort that shows me they're going to make an effort to be at rehearsal on time to show up prepared uh, you know all, all of that that you want your actors to be i've seen online i'm, I'm browsing just hundreds of the community theater websites all over the country and I'm contacting people uh, to interview them uh, on this podcast and a thing that I keep saying over and over is theaters commitments either just verbal written on their website one production I was in it was an agreement we had to sign uh, some states have uh, organized associations all surrounded all centered around like inclusivity and safety for performers and stuff like that and which i find kind of interesting in the theater space because i can't think of a safer space that exists for yes. all the way back until i was a childhood i can't think of a safer space than theaters a more inclusive space than than theaters um and i don't know if is it because people are taking proactive steps or do do you does your theater take any proactive steps for that or do you find that it's just not necessary because of the nature of theater? Uh, yeah, I think the nature of theater is that it's a safe space. I mean, that's one of the things that draws a lot of actors at the very beginning. Of They said, I found my group. I found somebody who accepted me who, for who I was um, or for who I am. You know, we in the past, I, I can't say how long ago where we started saying, um, all ethnicities are encouraged to audition. I mean, that's that for me, that's a given. I mean, I, I don't say, oh, why are you auditioning for this role? This is a, a white man and you're not white. 
You know, I've never been like, oh, like I couldn't cast a black man in that role. I've never been that way. But um, now some, there's one audition website uh, out here that started like you, you have to agree to put this in your audition notice. I'm like, okay, that's, that's a no brainer for me. You know, I don't, you don't have to force me. That's in my wheelhouse anyway. That's in my go. That's what I do. But, you know, so now we add that and now all uh, gender identities are encouraged. Um, and I, I have no problem with that. I, if we, if you're finding it more and more in audition notices that, you know, all ethnicities are encouraged to audition. And I suppose it's a, a good idea because it, it might not occur to people. I didn't, I didn't find theater looking for a safe space or, you know what I mean? Like I, I found theater and then realized, oh, this is a safe, inclusive space for, for all, yes. all genders, all ethnicity, stuff like that. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't seek it out for that reason. And, and if, if we, if we shout it from the hilltops, then maybe people will seek it out. Always has been, you know, and, and it's just like, okay, I guess we have to say it now that we, that we are, I mean, we've never had to say it because it was just known that you know theater is is built that way so that's all i wanted to cover today is there anything that i missed out on any words of wisdom any things that you wanted to get in there that 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 i missed that i glazed over i don't think so uh, i know we had originally contacted because of uh us uh doing forever plaid mm-hmm. and and um, you know we are doing Forever Plaid, but it's a, it's one of the things that I do. I brought this show in. We have been collaborating with this other small theater um, that's about seventy miles away from us, and uh, that director has brought in shows to us. And so he brought this idea of Forever Plaid, and I'm like, yes, people want to see this. It's hard to produce, but yes. So you know, his they're coming in the on a Monday for rehearsals and. But they, they will close their show where they're doing it on Sunday, come to us on Monday and start doing performances for one weekend on starting on a Thursday. So our summer, like I said, part, that's not part of our season is Rocky Horror. But previous to that, we have now this tiny outdoor garden cabaret um, that seats 44 people. It's theater under the stars and, you know, a beach town. And we're doing, you know, Forever Plaid, uh, doing a Midsummer Night's Dream. So we are doing Shakespeare. I'm like, I, let's try it. We don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, a musical review entitled uh, Songs from Shows We Cannot Do on Our Stage, like Titanic, uh, Lion King, all those huge shows, uh, and um, a murder mystery. So that's, you know, one of those, that's our space where we try to do a little bit of everything that we couldn't wouldn't normally do in our uh, main stage okay so so i saw those on your website and i was a little confused it says it has six shows in the season but what are these shows so the cabaret is the stuff in the outdoor theater under the stars forever plaid that's like you said that's how i contacted you i'm i'm picking theaters at random across the country I saw your uh, your website, Forever Plaid, was featured. I said, hey, can you pass this message along to the director of Forever, Forever Plaid? You're like, well, they're not really uh, part of our theater, but I'll talk to you. I said, that'd be great. So like you said, so that's kind of a turnkey solution, right? Like you, they just show up, do a show, and then get out. 
Yeah, it's easy for me. It's like I, I would rather, you know, we pay them. We say, okay, here's we paid for the royalties and we, for those four shows and for their, you know, accompanist. And, and, um, and it's like, okay, yeah, let's have them come out here, you know, drive out 70 miles. But they, they love it. They, it's a beautiful space. And uh, it's, I, I'm proud. We're one of a kind in Orange County. No other theater in probably in 70 miles has something like this. So Forever Plaid, do they do they pay you? Do they just rent the space and then keep all ticket sales? Or how's that work? No, we paid them to come in and we keep ticket sales. Okay. So that's, but it's it's not much work for you. It might draw a different crowd than you normally get. So then increase your attendance for other shows? It, it will draw, it definitely draw a crowd. That's one of those shows that people just are so attracted to. Now, remember, that show started out in a small theater in San Diego, not far from here. And that's where Forever Plaid originated. I did not so know that. So it's, yeah, it's got a big name here, a big draw here. All right. That's all I have for you, Michael. Thank you so much. Okay, great. Thank you. It was fun. As we wrap up, I want to remind you to visit FromTheApron.com for convenient access to all the information mentioned in this episode. You'll find links and resources related to auditions, performances, and more. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platform so you never miss an episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode of FromTheApron.com podcast. We appreciate your listenership and support. Now it's time for call to action. First, consider volunteering and getting involved in your local theater community. Take inspiration from my recent experience where I volunteered to assist with moving props and set pieces for my local theater. Reach out to theaters in your area and inquire about volunteer opportunities, such as becoming a volunteer usher. Next, don't miss the chance to go see a show, particularly at the Cabrillo Playhouse. Mark your calendars for the auditions of the Rocky Horror Show on June 5th, with performances running from August 4th through August 27th on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Additionally, catch the opening of Puffs this Friday, June 2nd, running through June 25th, with performances every Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. For the complete lineup of upcoming shows and the Garden Cabaret performances, visit cabrioplayhouse.org. If you're in the Denver, Colorado area, don't forget auditions for Sherlock Holmes, The Case of Alice Faulkner, taking place this weekend on Saturday, June 3rd, and Sunday, June 4th. In the central Wisconsin area, mark your calendars for 12th night auditions on Monday, June 19th, and Tuesday, June 20th. For those in other areas, a simple Google search for Community Theater Near Me will help you discover your local opportunities. Thank you again for joining us. We look forward to bringing you more engaging and insightful content and links to everything I've just mentioned at FromTheApron.com. <laughs>